Life is a book, and on every page is a story told on our very own stage. Other actors play a factor, but we are the main star, living life in all its glory. So tell me, what's your story? Storybird. This is Eric Tucker bringing you another episode of the Storybird podcast. Our guest today is Lifford Hobley, former player in the National Football League. He played college football at Louisiana State University. His professional career spanned seven seasons with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Dolphins. Lifford is also the president of the Dallas chapter of the NFL Alumni Association. Lifford, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Eric, thank you for inviting me and doing very well, you know, as we uh, forge forward in the U.S. through our, you know, national pandemic. And, of course, it's been uh, very, very, very kind of just a little frustrating to, to basically, to say the least. But, hey, life goes on. Indeed, indeed. And hopefully good things come from it. You know, I think everybody's learning to do things a little differently. And that's what you do when you learn to adapt and adjust, right? That's for sure. That's for sure. And as we move forward, you know, like you know, everyone else, I've been working from home for now, I believe, a month and a half, almost two months now. Something that, you know, basically you always should be ready to do or get accustomed to as we grow the technology markets out there and give you opportunities to basically not have to be in an environment or drive an hour, 45 minutes to an hour every, you know, 360 just to travel to, to basically uh, provide for your family. So I'm happy that my company has the ability and also the resources to basically let us collaborate still with our new customers, customer base, and friends and family in the manner that we do. Indeed. And it, it, let me just say this right off the bat. You, you're a product of C.E. Bird High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. And <laughs> I, I think it's only fitting to have you as the inaugural guest um, Isn't it for yeah. the Storybird podcast. Storybird. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I love it. I, and I really appreciate <laughs> your time. But tell me, what was it like for you growing up in Shreveport? Well, I tell you what, like other you know, young men, guys, got opportunities just as everyone else to do things in a small community, uh, basically Shreveport, Louisiana. It's never been known as a big city, but it seems to get a lot of attention, mainly due to the fact that casinos are definitely a prevalent in that city. And uh, it's only about, I'd say, 200 plus thousand population-wise, pretty small city, but we get a lot of traffic. As a kid growing up there, it was you know pretty 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 I would say neat. It was actually a situation where you know you grow up and you just move forward as you progress and see things happen. And if, as you go back and if you know if you try and help as far as uh, implementing changes or people that can implement changes, so that's been a progression for many many years from being from a small town and have an opportunity to go back and be a part of that, what they're doing now and based on how we were in, you know, 30, 40 years ago, things have definitely changed for the better. But there are still some things that are actually still 
need change. And of course, hopefully, as we get through this, change will definitely happen. We look at growth in a way where now that the, I would say, I-49 project that has been actually uh, going on for the past 40 years, hopefully now that they're moving forward, the stretch of that will actually finally connect from the north side of Shreveport to the south side of Shreveport heading to Baton Rouge, where I-49 needs to connect, which is broke, has been broken for about 40 years. So as we move through that process, continue to watch it to see how this you know, move forward. So hopefully our leadership there is actually established that link where we can continue that process. Was Shreveport the big sports town when you grew up? Well, actually, I grew up watching the Shreveport Braves, which, of course, is Atlanta Farm League for the Braves. And then, of course, growing up in an environment where you had these little small towns like Grambling or the great Eddie Robinson walked the campus. You know, of course, being from Shreveport, that was our brand of football. You got to watch Grambling play every week or hear about the great players that have actually passed through there that were some of them from my hometown. And of course, LSU being down south, four hours away, you got that brand of football. You got the other small colleges, the Louisiana Techs, the Northeast Louisiana, which is Monroe, and of course, University of Louisiana is the old USL. All of those opportunities were, were available to every kid that basically either were in sports or were not in sports. So there was never a shortage of opportunities there. Mm-hmm. You just had to apply yourself. And that's what it takes. When you apply yourself, you actually reach out and move forward. Who taught you the game of football? <laughs> that's kind of a, you know, as far as the rules and how the game should be played and at a level at, you know, eight years old, you basically followed the crowd. So I followed my older brothers. I followed my older neighborhood brothers, which, of course, uh, my friends all had older brothers. So you watch these guys. You, 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 know, you learn by watching and then by participation. Even though the guys are a lot older, they were engaged with the younger kids in my community. So either they were coaches or basically they would actually act like coaches and have you know, the younger guys playing these little hodgepodge sandlock football games or you know, touch football. Sometimes they, you know, basically uh, turn in a tackle. But fortunate for me, there was a lot of athletes before me that were in my community. So I got a lot of coaching and teaching from my neighbors and friends and uh, my brother's older uh, friends. So it was basically an opportunity for me to learn from the community, football, basketball, baseball, what track was all about. So getting that collaboration from my neighbors and friends was pretty simple to pick up and choose what you'd like to do. So with them basically giving me the background and also the guidance, had a few coaches that were high school, high school students as a kid. So I learned from a lot of guys like Frank Ashley, his brother and his friends that were available to coach kids in the community. And then, of course, you move to the next level and you grow and you get guys like Jim Davis, who was a really 
awesome baseball player at Oklahoma State, but Shreveport grown. And then, of course, high school baseball players that were available to us, you know, basically to help teach young kids in the community about baseball, football, basketball, and then, of course, the respect of rules and regulations behind it. So it was a pretty neat opportunity for me growing up as a kid to engage and have those sports and also a facility to go to, like, you know, street sports, sports and recreation, which spa was a part of my uh, life for many, many years, all the way through high school. So I, when I go back, I take that drive through my own neighborhood just to kind of reminisce to see what that looked like today and what it looked like back then when I was a kid. Right. And, you know, it's, it's hard to give back if you don't ever get back. So it's, it's wonderful to hear you always referencing the community where you actually got your start. And obviously you went on to LSU, but who encouraged you to keep going on a high school level and work hard enough to try to make it to that next level in college? <laughs> well, when you grew up in a family with, this, with a mom that, you know, basically just mom, that was it. Mom with seven kids, but basically that was uh, my older brothers and sisters who were already had already processed this and they were already moving forward to their careers, either in the service or the jobs that they actually obtained after high school. And then, of course, uh, that leadership from my older brothers, watching them progress in certain situations, some were good and some were bad. All the good things they did, I picked those things to, <laughs> to mimic. I try to stay away from the bad things that, you know, that, that were you know available. As a kid, you test your limits and you do things, you know, like, hey, I probably had my first drink when I was probably 14 years old. So that didn't work out too well. Moving forward, you know, you get to high school and then, of course, you learn that you actually have a skill set that's different from everybody else. And you start to look and engage in situations where even in middle school, moving forward to Broadmoor Junior High, I, I felt, you know, after my set, after, you know, becoming a teenager at 13, the transition started to happen then. And then, of course, when I got to high school as a sophomore, I was pretty prepared to fight for everything I wanted as a student uh, in school. And as an athlete, on the field, on the basketball court, on the track, or on the baseball field. It was basically all team sports that you participated. I had some of the same coaches that basically crossed over. And my football coaches were track coaches. My football coaches were baseball coaches. So one of my football coaches, defensive back coach, Coach Charles Thrash, he was the basketball coach for our JV team. And then, of course, later on in the years, became head coach for many, many years at Bird High School. But getting the opportunity to transition from one sport to another wasn't that difficult. To stay the course as far as the classroom part of it, it was not difficult at all because the teachers made sure I was a participant in everything I basically showed up for. So my teachers were great as well. So they were very big influence on me picking LSU as a university. And then, of course, moving forward to my NFL career. I collaborated and stayed in touch with a lot of my high school teachers. 
And then, of course, my one of my favorite teachers in an, an entire planet was uh, Mr. Edward Junior Caesar, who was an amazing guy, followed me all the way through from grade school all the way through high school. He was always there and always available. Sounds like you've had a lot of experience in all these different activities, not only in the activities, but the coaches behind the activities. Let me ask you this. I want to know how you got to LSU and what position the, the coaches had in mind when you got there. And is that the position that you wound up playing to the next level? <laughs> well, I tell you what, actually, I played so many positions as a kid growing up. I was considered an athlete. So moving back, started out, you know, my first first position as a player at nine years old, eight, nine years old, I played center. On our football team, I played center and linebacker because it was, you know, basically I was a pretty good athlete and I was bigger than a lot of my other classmates that were approaching the fourth and fifth grade. I was actually a lot bigger than some of the fifth and sixth graders. So <laughs> I got an opportunity to basically protect the quarterback and learn what that meant. Then, of course, as I move forward, you know, basically as you become an athlete, you're doing things in the summer, which are classmates that you're hanging out with and you find that you can do things a lot better than a lot of the other kids that are basically in your class so i got to do things with older kids basically from the basketball court to just in the park playing football i was picked to play on teams that were that most kids wouldn't actually try to participate and at that level, but as far as you know, myself, I felt like I was, I never felt threatened by older or by teenagers because I felt like I had to hold my own as an athlete against any teenager, even at 12 years old. Uh, <laughs> I you know, basically would get in there with the high school guys and hold my own on the court or on the football field, or even definitely on the baseball field because growing up as a kid, I was a pitcher. So that made a big difference when you could actually take out guys that are teenagers that, you know, they get up on the, you know, at bat and you're mowing them down one after the other. (laughs) So that became something that I was pretty good at as I moved through my careers as an athlete. Picking a position was not something that I did. It was something that coaches did. So when I got to high school, I was a tight end, receiver, running back, quarterback, all my sophomore year. I played all those positions. And, of course, my junior year, I became played mostly running back and defensive back. And, then of course, I was the quarterback. I was a quarterback. And my senior year, I, I was the four-starting quarterback where, you know, basically uh, didn't have a, too many plays defensively because we didn't have a backup quarterback. I was it. Uh, backup got injured in a JV game, so I got no reps on defense, unfortunately. But my, you know, just offensively, I only the only game I played as a defensive back was probably against one of the considered one of the best receivers in the state of Louisiana at the time, Raymond Cowles, North Northwood High School, and played one game at defensive back. Got a, picked off a pass, ran it back for a touchdown, and. Yeah, you know, we won that game, but still, I was still focused on 
things as an athlete, as a quarterback, and uh, my going into my senior year, and then of course you get recruited. You have to take what you are offered because a lot of the schools were offering different opportunities to me at different positions. So I had to make sure that I chose the right university, and I chose LSU. Uh, based on Bo Ryant, who was the recruiting coach at the time back in the uh, in 19, going into the 1980s. He was the new LSU head coach, basically had just took on the job, came around, recruited me during the basketball season, he and uh, Coach Greg Williams. And I basically, I got an opportunity there. So I thought, you know, after visiting all two or three, four or five other schools that were really opportunities, Tulane, Ole Miss, and a few other, you know, basically schools that were local schools that I also took visits to as well. I stayed within the, I say community, the the South, the SEC area, because that was my choice and my brand of football that I was used to watching. And uh, some of my favorite players during that time as a kid played in, you know, the Alabamas, the LSU's, the Ole Miss, watching those universities. As a kid, you grew up in the South, you watched that brand of football. Oklahoma even. So opportunities were there. So I chose LSU as a, to move forward. But when I got there, basically, never got an opportunity to play quarterback. Didn't bother me one bit to make that transition to defensive back as a corner, starting out as a freshman, then to safety as I grew into my body became more of a hitter uh, than a coverage guy, but had the speed to cover as well. So that wasn't a choice, but a calling that was basically given to me by Coach Greg Williams, my uh, defensive back coach at LSU back in the 80s, 80 through 81, 82, and then he moved on. I stayed the course. I grew into, of course, that position and just catered to being that guy that could actually develop from a offensive player to a defensive player. And you've seen that so often where guys are athletes versus quarterbacks or receivers or defensive back. And you, you can pick and choose what you're going to feel more comfortable uh, doing. And I felt more comfortable being a defensive back versus a uh, quarterback, even though I could probably uh, I'll throw a lot of quarterbacks at that level at that age coming into college. While you were at LSU, when did you first get an inkling that you might be good enough to go to the next level? You know, I didn't pay attention to that very much. As a student athlete, I was more concerned about keeping my grades up so I could play (laughs) at LSU. So, you know, you can be a little lazy when things are pretty much handed to you like they are today basically, but you have to be that student. You have to stay the course. I would probably say not until my junior year, going into my junior year, where I felt the change where I actually start started, you know, from my sophomore to my senior year, I redshirted my sophomore year, I blew out my shoulder, came back, progressed, got bigger and stronger and faster, of course, and of course had a great junior redshirt sophomore year redshirt junior year great season my senior year as well 
And when you're making these teams, all SEC or whatever those mentions are, and basically preseason teams like Playboy All-American, you start to look at these other guys that graduated before you, and they have jobs in the NFL. And uh, you consider yourself better or just as good as the guys that left you behind and they're playing the NFL. And they're telling you, hey, this is going to be your next step. So there's a lot of guys before me that came back and said, hey, get, get ready because you're going to be drafted next year or the year, you know, basically the year after. Plus, we had the USFL. To gauge yourself as an NFL player, you had the USFL as well back then in the 80s. So to get drafted by a USFL team but have an opportunity to not to respond was an amazing opportunity for me because I got drafted by the Portland Breakers, which were the old New Orleans Breakers, but I didn't respond. So I, after my going into my senior year, no response. So, uh, of course, they knew that, no, he's not leaving. He's staying at LSU. And, of course, to get drafted with by the Steelers in the third round, basically just kind of moved you forward. And then, of course, to have a career to play a season, not even a season for the Steelers, but to you know basically get into that opportunity. I, as a player, I considered myself not well prepared, even though I was married with a kid. But as an NFL player, I, I considered myself, when I look back at my career, I didn't prepare myself to move into the spotlight and with an NF, with that particular NFL team that year. But to move forward and get picked up by the Cardinals, the a couple about a week or so later, gave me an opportunity to rethink my situation and understand this is a job, not an adventure. It's a real job, and you have to basically consider that being your job for a period of time, but not for the rest of my life. You know, we see players go through the draft process, and it's a lot of fanfare around that right now in, in this age. What was it like for you? Are you nervous? I mean, what was that yeah, experience of like? You're nervous because, you know, you're watching ESPN back then. And uh, you get up that morning, you get calls or have conversations with scouts. And then, of course, you have conversations with the teams that are really interested. And you as a player, they either, to, they usually, they come to visit you back then. They would visit you. Basically, and then, of course, if they're looking at you in the first three rounds, you got a lot of phone calls. And that morning, I got a lot of phone calls. I got phone calls in the first round. I got phone calls in the second round. And, and after, you know, basically midway through the first round, I got two phone calls. And, of course, Buffalo from the Oakland Raiders, nothing happened. Second round, same thing. I get calls from teams, nothing. You know, so I said, you know what? You draft me or not, I'm going to work out. I went to, this, to LSU's campus, worked out for a little bit, came back. And round the 70, third round, the 70th pick, I get a phone call from the Steelers, and they were on the clock, and they drafted me in the third round. I wasn't shocked. I had a great workout for them when he did come down uh, to see me and visit with me and uh, sit down with me. So that was not... You know, I just felt that 
the third round after two rounds had gone by. And now you look at things the way they are today. They were similar. Teams were drafting players based on their needs. And some teams drafted players because they were the best athlete at that spot at the current time. And I think that's where I felt with the Steelers, uh, being the best athlete that they could take on at the time. But unfortunately, I, I don't believe it was their problem. It was more my problem, not, if not fitting into their concept of uh, defense. And looking at St. Louis, get an opportunity to go and look at their concept of defense. I had an opportunity to resign with them the prior year, but knowing what I knew and have an opportunity to go to Miami after playing my senior year for Bill Ronsbarger, who was the Miami Dolphins defensive coordinator for 20, 27 years, having hands on and putting my hands in and getting involved and molding a defense that we played my senior year at LSU and going to Miami and having a similar playbook as you go to that training camp that first year in 1986. And of course, unfortunately, I didn't make that team. I was released again. I got cut twice in two years, three, actually three times in two years. So, but that didn't stop me. I was feeding off of the, that part of it that I knew I could play this game with these guys that were already there. I took a year, went back to Baton Rouge. I worked for a full year, basically. And I don't think I worked out in more than 10 days that year, 1987. I I'm probably thankful that I had a full-time job and I was working to feed my family at the time. And the opportunities were there to go work out every day. Uh, but like I said, when you have a full-time job, you're working 10 hour days. It's, it's tough to actually get back in the gym, especially going through that. I went back to Miami in May of the next year of 87. And if, if this gets out, it probably will, but I didn't work out the entire time, lift the weight, run or anything. I got to Miami in May, actually in April. Uh, we moved, relocated completely because I needed to focus. I ran a four five forty, not having worked out since I left training camp in July of 1986. And uh, that was it from there. I just plowed ahead, worked out every day, stayed in shape, did everything I needed to do, stayed in the classrooms and things like that. That entire off season, picking up other things that I've actually missed in 86. So I was prepared. The only thing I wasn't prepared for is the strike, 1987 strike. Wasn't prepared for that. It worked out, though, because, you know, looking at my situation, I just said, you know what? I made this team uh, not because um, someone wasn't, wasn't as good as I was. I made this team because I worked my butt off, and I didn't get to this level to – I'll let the attorneys in the background, but all the players had the decision to make, and I made my decision. I crossed the pitching line. Uh, I came two of that strike uh, year and went back and played in two strike games. And then, of course, from that point on, I moved forward with my career with the Dolphins. And uh, that seven-year stretch with the Dolphins was amazing. I enjoyed every moment of it, even the strike guys that I played with. It's a 
level of football that you really never get an opportunity. Very few get an opportunity to do this. And I didn't want to miss any of it. And, you know, a few injuries along the way. Got, you know, through those knee injuries, you know, basically little small things sometimes. But to have a career of eight-year stretch in the NFL, to have uh, an opportunity to achieve records and goals, I still have the sack record uh, as a defensive back for the Miami Dolphins. I think I'm tied with Jerry Wilson, who had, we both had six sacks as defensive backs and no one's broken that record yet after 30 plus years. So things like that, you can look back and reflect on. NFL films, basically sharing uh, data with you after so many years, things that I've actually applied myself to. Uh, I was working, having conversations with one of my former teammates up in Pittsburgh uh, many, many years ago about getting information and getting guys data on their best plays that they've accomplished. So basically I got that uh, just a month ago from NFL films on a thumb drive. And I went and I'm looking at those videos and it's like, Oh, wow. You, you don't remember it, but once you see it, you do recall it and you can feel it. It's, it's exciting to watch yourself. Many, many years ago, do some some of the things that you go, man, that was that really me? But, you know, you look at it and you go pretty, you get pretty happy about it. You know, it's great to hear you, I guess, have that spark a little bit when you reflect back on your career. And I, I think that's awesome because you hear so many different things about players who have spent a significant amount of time in the National Football League. It sounds like you had fun. And what I want to know is, who are some notable players that you remember playing either with as teammates or against as opponents? Oh, my God. It's, uh, you know, so many guys you play with, the uh, Hugh Greens, the Dan Marinos, the Mark Claydens, the Fred Fred Banks, the, you know, the Roy Fosters. Guys, these are guys that still have conversations with Mark Higgs and Mark Logan. George George Adams, who basically played for the Giants, but he and I have actually <laughs> been communicating since his days at Kentucky. So we stayed in touch. That's Jamal Adams' father. We stayed in touch. He and, he and I, he lives here in Dallas. So you get an opportunity. Then, of course, here, here I am as NFL on my president. So I have all of the tools I need to reach out to any player around the country, former player. you know. And then, of course, you get a chance to play against guys like Marcus Allen. Eric Dickerson, the great Jim Kelly, and be, and stay friends with these guys through over the years, and you show up at these wonderful events, charity events, in certain areas, South Florida, Texas, wherever it is, and you see these guys, and it's like, wow, I haven't seen them so long. They look great, and and of course, you get an opportunity to sit down and chat with players, uh, basically about what's going on today. What is what is this? organization when i say or the nfl look like what's the makeup of our organization players that leave i got an opportunity eric to leave the football field create a resume apply for a position after the dolphins in 1994 decide that you know get a call from tom heckert saying hey uh Lifford, uh we think we're going to move in a different direction and we thank you for your service. And I went, 
Hey, Tom, I appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity. I'll see you on Monday. And he went, oh, really? I said, yeah, I'll see you Monday. So that Monday, I went to the Miami Dolphins front office, a resume in hand, sat down with Jill Strapassi, Eddie Jones, and Brian Wiedemeyer, and interviewed for a position that was open as player program coordinator. Was hired the same day, started working that same that same week, and had a three-year career with the Dolphins in the front office before moving on. The changes that were made when Shula retired in 1997, I moved on. The other coach, Jimmy Johnson, wanted a different figure in that position, so I took a severance and moved on. Uh, and uh, moved, actually stayed in the community for a couple of years before moving on as well, from Miami to a uh, different life, which I'm in today. You mentioned the phrase moved on. Do you find that you were prepared and did it make you stronger? It gave me a blanket to share opportunities with others as you know you see guys develop as young men when they look at others and they learn and pick up things from the uh, guys that are actually considered examples in the community so I'm hopefully guys were actually able to pick up things from me uh, that not only off on the field but off the field I was involved in the community in South Florida all of the years I was there as far as the uh, being that guy that actually go would go out in the community and uh, find the resources for the areas that needed the resources or, or get to get our guys together to obtain the resources that were needed for certain communities, be it media or financial or whatever it may be for kids for that community, whoever was having an issue or whatever group was having an issue, being a part of that, that community meant getting together with leaders in the community, getting together with the police department in the community, getting together with the clergymen in the community. Our players are still doing those things today, even the former players. These are the things that keeps you focused and give, it gives you an opportunity to see who you are and what you'd like to be. And that was giving me an opportunity as a former player to be that first player hired by the Miami Dolphins into their front office, giving the players that needed advice or that needed ear that they can actually communicate with and also felt the you know, basically felt protected by their conversations that they were protected and that it gave them opportunity to have someone that when they were away and if their families needed something or if they, or if their kids needed something, this guy would actually do it for them or get it done. Tell us a little bit about the NFL Alumni Association and how did you get connected? <laughs> After I retired, you know, became a, you know, basically a program coordinator, I learned a lot more about the NFL alumni, learned a lot more about the NFL Retired Players Association, uh, basically through the NFLPA. NFL alumni, uh, we had a 
organization, a large organization of players that participated in the whole night that was ran by Don Nottingham in South Florida. And then, of course, uh, Larry Ball, guys that were actually prior prior to me uh, being part of that 70s, 1970s Dolphin organization. So listening to that leadership develop in the community and show this is what the NFL alumni, this is who we are, this is what we do. And it's just one of those things that resonated that, wow, this is cool. And then, of course, there was a conflict. The conflict is the logo, the NFL logo, which wasn't a conflict. It was just that we actually took on a logo 50-plus years ago and dropped and added a name to it, which is alumni, and created and had a logo where it became our logo as well as the NFL owners. So we respect it. It's a 501c3 logo. It's well, it's funded by a lot of the corporate communities, including the NFL is our biggest leader as far as sponsorship and keeping that 501c3 in place. And we definitely appreciate it. It works for us. And then of course, that part of it in our communities, it cares for kids. And when I talk about caring for kids, I, I've taken, we can take any kids organization, be it nonprofit or uh, basically just an organization, put multiple alumni, not only players, but cheerleaders, professionals that were NFL officers or NFL employees, regardless of what part of the NFL you work for, you once you leave that organization and you move into a different industry, you're now considered an NFL alumni the doctors, the trainers, any staff member, even if you work for an NFL organization, regardless, if it's on the ticket, wherever it was, you're considered an NFL alumni. I think we have the largest organization as a group in the country when it comes to nonprofit. If we can basically, we have 35 chapters to date in different parts of the country. Here in Texas, Dallas, Houston, Tyler, San Antonio, and then, of course, we also collaborate with the Louisiana group, basically, in Mississippi. So there's different groups just in the southern region that we can actually open our doors and open communications from Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, and then, of course, the big state of Texas, where we're all collaborating and can have those conversations in regards to what we can do in these different states and communities to make things better or to add something to the communities that we're living in as former players and former employees of the NFL. So that's where we are as far as the big picture with the NFL alumni, caring for our own and caring for kids. And during this stressful time of the pandemic, our national office, we've actually created a corona, you know, basically a virus, coronavirus, COVID-19 campaign. Our guys and our former, you know, former, all of the alumni, basically, regardless of how much, it's just an opportunity to donate funds to care for our guys or family members or any other alumni 
that needs assistance. So that's where we are with that. And then, of course, those funds can grow into something even better, finding a cure or putting funds toward a cure, the research that's needed to come up with something that's going to be more significant than just guesswork. Clifford, you are part of a tremendous organization. When you and I met a little over a year ago, I, I thought it was um, very heartwarming that you were willing to share um, your experience. And I mean, we actually met at a charity event. And so you are obviously someone who practices what they preach and speak about. I, I think more people should know um, about some of the good things that you guys are doing and, and, and how you're taking care of your own. I think that's becoming further and further in the forefront as far as garnering attention, as far as how you are taking care of retired players, former players, and as you mentioned, anyone affiliated with the NFL. I, I think that's a good thing. For our listeners that would want to either learn more or learn how to get involved, where can they go to um, learn how to help? Lifford, you all are doing some wonderful things as part of the NFL Alumni Association. When we met, we met at a charity event and you, you were so willing to share stories from your career and your background. And it was heartwarming to see someone practicing what they preach, so to speak. And for their our listeners out there who want to learn more about some of the causes that you guys are involved in, especially with your work with children, where Certainly. can they go to learn more? We are basically, our national website is nflalumni.org. And of course, in order for you to see what we're doing in our calendar here in the Dallas community, uh, wherever community you're in, you'll go to our homepage, nflalumni.org. You go to about. And then, of course, you'll be able to click on the chapters and find your president, wherever that may be. And that president's contact information, my contact information is there. Everyone else should be available. Wherever you find that contact name, you'll be able to reach out to that contact of that president by adding their first dot last name at nflalumni.org. That'll get you in touch with the president of of whatever chapter you're reaching out to. So with that said, we also have partners that are actually collaborating with us. And you, some of you may know some of the partners that we actually have attached to our website. So feel free to browse around. We also have the ability to add associate memberships. Associate membership would be organizations like yours, uh, Eric, and Eric Media. So you can actually obtain a association membership and uh, receive an NFL alumni associate member card electronically, which you download to your phone as an app. And of course, the membership fees, our players, former players and associate members pay membership dues each year. And that's how a nonprofit organization continues to operate and share uh, financial opportunities with people in our communities that may need it. So even some of our players at time, former players, basically possibly needs us help and services that are provided. So healthcare services, these are some of the things that have been added as we move forward. 
by the NFL alumni organization, and then, of course, the NFL, basically, to help and support and financially support us as we move forward. And so as we move forward, this platform is built to get out there and see our caring for kids part that we do. There's so many great board members of this organization, and our leadership is stellar. Former players are leading us in every every way that's known. Our CEO, Beasley Reese, he's a Texas-born great, played for the Cowboys, played for Baylor, played you know for the Giants, and a uh, great person. Bart Oates, same thing, great young, great guy, great leadership. His brother lives here in Dallas. He's an attorney. He's a former player as well. And Brent's been, been here for a long time. So we have players, former players, that are involved in each and every community. We also have some of the spouses that are leadership in leadership roles with our organization as well. So former cheerleaders and spouses of former NFL players and some of our spouses are widows of former NFL players that have taken leadership roles in our organization. So it's a fast, awesome family of friends and associates that we get to have opportunities to grow the organization. And I'm glad I have a local organization that came on uh, this year and I'm a, I've been associating with for over the past three years. And he's built a great brand to help us in the community here in Dallas support and you know not only financially but physically have products to support our our community infusion is that water company you'll see a new organization pop up on our website in the dallas area and i'm loving it i think this product is going to be one of the cutting edges products for our for the dallas chapter and our other chapters around the country as we grow well, we are excited to um, learn more about the continued efforts that you have serving the community Great stories. You have to come back and keep us abreast of additional activities that you have, and especially in the DFW area. We look forward to that. And we just want to thank you for stopping by and um, spending some time with us here on Storybird. Oh, it's been awesome, especially to have uh, the title Storybird. And I was a Bird High School graduate. I have to repeat that because that's, a, that's awesome. When I saw it, I went, wait a minute. <laughs> this is awesome. Eric, thank you so much for having me on. Anytime you need me, I, hey, I'm here. As you can see, I love to talk. Likewise, my friend. It's been fun. <laughs> hey, you have a good one and stay safe, okay? I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. All right. Take care.